Ramen, broadly defined as Japanese soup made with Chinese noodles. Ramen is arguably one of Japan's most popular foods and greatest inventions. Warm, delicious bowls have been made to order since the first true ramen shop opened in 1910 in Tokyo. In 1958, inventor Momofuku Ando created instant ramen in an effort to help solve world hunger caused by food shortages. Today, ramen is enjoyed around the world with endless varieties depending on the type of noodle, broth, protein, and vegetable. When it comes to noodle soup and meat, Hootie isn't picky. I'm Hootie, and you're listening to Hootie the Foodie. He may be 10 years old, but he's an expert. You're listening to Hootie the Foodie. My guest today is a powerhouse in the culinary world. From his masterful dishes on Food Network's Chopped to his award-winning restaurants and dining concepts. He's a true food entrepreneur with big talent in the kitchen, and he's a noodle lover. Chef Mark Anthony Bynum, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you going over there? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. <laughs> thank you for having me, Hootie. You're welcome. Chef Bynum, thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to pick your brain on how to make great ramen. But I'm fascinated with your culinary journey. Let's start at the beginning. What was it like growing up in Long Island? Long Island for me was great. I'm one of five children. I'm the middle child. So I call myself the middle oldest because I try and take care of everybody. And it was nice. Like growing up, it was a great mix where I was at. Like when I grew up in Farmerdale, Long Island, it was like a great culture clash. So you would go to school, you would have... You know what I'm saying? People like me, you have African-Americans and you have the Jamaicans and the Haitians. And then, you know what I'm saying? You would have the Spanish. And then like, it was just a great mix. I think that growing up on Long Island was great because we had the farms and stuff like that. But we have just a great mix, a melting pot of people. So growing up was good for me and my family. Was it calm or like very busy? Um, I think that my mom made sure that we were busy. You know what I'm saying? Growing up. We always played sports between church and sports and school and making sure that school was a very big part of what we did, you know, so we always stayed busy. And again, there were five of us. <laughs> As a chef, you are self-taught with no formal training. Considering all of your culinary achievements, that is quite amazing. You say there's a lot you learned from tasting, seeing, and smelling. What does that mean? Well, since I didn't go to school, I had to rely on my senses, you know, so touch, taste, feel, smell, all those things pay a great deal in tasting food and dissecting food. So I can go to a restaurant and I can eat a dish and I can see what's in it just based off of how it tastes and then try and recreate that dish. So you're pretty much deconstructing the dish to build it backwards. So that's what I do. It's a talent that I have. It's a God-given talent. Between that, my taste buds and almost like a photographic memory. Those are great things that allow me to recant things from years past and bring them into the forefront of the future. So it's the melding of perfect worlds for me. And I just use my talent for food. That sounds like a sick talent. Yeah, it's my superpower. (laughs) So like playing music by ear? Yes. And that's what I did when I was in school because I played the drum. I'm a percussionist but I never learned how to read music. And 
my music teachers just let me play because it was so good. It went with it, but they never really taught me how to read music. So you remember the movie um, Drumline, like where he could listen to the music and then play it back? It's the same thing that I can do. I can do that with food and I can do that with music. That sounds like another sick talent. <laughs> my superpower. Yes. Do you feel like there are advantages to being self-taught? Um, I think that there are advantages of being self-taught just because you don't know boundaries. You don't know limits. You know what I'm saying? If you're self-taught, you pretty much work through the process and nobody's going to tell you no. And sometimes the best things that are created are through that process. The hindrance of not being professionally taught, some techniques, which I've learned over the years, um, but the verbiage and the wording. Like I'll be talking about something and somebody that went to school will use a French term and they'll be like, oh, well, that's this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's something that I just did. So, you know, it has its ups and its downs, but that's the beautiful thing about food. It's a language in and of itself. Like you don't have to be taught it. You could put something in a pan, you know when it's time to turn it. And as long as it tastes good, that's the only language anybody really needs to know. That's powerful. <laughs> How did you fill in the skills that you were missing? Um, I went to different restaurants that I knew I could learn those skills. So the beautiful thing about Long Island is, since it is multicultural, there's different avenues where you can learn. When I wanted to learn about seafood, you know, legal seafood was the spot at that time. So I went there, learned about seafood, how to keep it fresh, not necessarily how to cook it. I really didn't need to know how to cook. I just needed to understand the food itself how it came in, how it was transported, how it stays fresh. Those are the things that I learned. My palate really taught me the technique of it. So I would go to seafood restaurants, learn the seafood. If I wanted to learn about ramen, since I have my superpower, I could go to 30 different ramen shops, taste their food, and then deconstruct it, and then learn it, and then recreate it. So that's how I filled it in, by spending a lot of money and a lot of time working at it and cooking it at home. You know, I would go to the restaurant to cook everybody else's food, and then I would come home and practice my own food, you know, and that's how I learned it. And that's where nobody told me no in my own kitchen because I was my own chef. So I could mess up as much as I wanted to, to learn. Was there any technique or food that was just so hard that you went to a different chef and asked them, how do you make it? Um, no, I take pride in trying to know a lot about everything. And I really didn't have a mentor chef to go to, really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I didn't have somebody who I could say, how do I learn this? You know what I'm saying? I was that person. And on Long Island, where I'm at, it wasn't a lot of people to draw from. And majority of the times, they didn't want to teach you anyway. I was young. I started cooking when I was 15 years old in the kitchen. One, they don't think that I'm serious. I didn't look like them. So it was just a different type of atmosphere for me. And you have to realize... This is 28 years ago. I've been cooking for 28 years. So the food scene now is totally different than the food scene 28 years ago when I started. So it, it must be like really hard now. No, it's easier now. Because imagine 28 years ago, there was no Google. There was no YouTube. There was no Instagram. You know, if you didn't know it, you had to read a book. You know what I'm saying? So it was harder then. You couldn't Google a recipe while you're on the line and then cook it. If you didn't know it, you had to ask somebody. There was more communication back then. 
So it was harder because you had to get out of yourself and actually talk to people, you know? And back then people were more willing to give you information. Now there's the internet. So there's no need for humans, just it's you, your phone, your pan. Yeah, in your digits. Touch, taste, smell, feel, everything. And when you're cooking and when you're making certain things, all those techniques, all those senses come into play. I have to ask, you've been on Chopped a few times over the past 10 years with a number of successes. Is it as stressful as it looks? It's stressful, but... If you play basketball all the time, it's just like playing basketball. Like I cook all the time. So it's not that stressful, especially when you know that you're going to be judged in front of a group of your peers. You don't know what's in the basket, which I love, but it's a great exercise. So it's stressful only if you allow it to be stressful. And that just comes with time and practice. You know, we sit here and we speak right now. I'm sure that if we look at old video of you, it was different. And as you do it and you do it more, it becomes easier. And the only pressure that you have is the pressure that you create in yourself. And once you don't have that pressure in yourself, there's no pressure. Have you ever gotten an ingredient that you've never worked with? Well, yes. The ingredient that I never worked with was gooey duck. And that was my demise on both my losses. So I had gooey duck on my first loss. The two times that I have lost in the chopped kitchen, it wasn't because somebody beat me. It's because they put gooey duck in my basket. One question, what the what is gooey duck? Gooey duck is a clam. It's in the clam family. So it's the one that has the long snout that comes out. I'm saying so you have the clam and then it's just like a long snout that comes out. So it's it's an interesting piece of meat. It's good, but it wasn't good for me that day. Chop seems to have open doors for you and your brand in the restaurant industry and then catering. You even got to provide craft services at Saturday Night Live, which led to a cover appearance for O Magazine. How did this all come about? Um, it came about through persistence. I always tell people, as much as I mentor people with food, I just mentor people in life, never stop trying, never stop pushing. So six years, I would have to say six to eight years in the making, when Oprah was doing her own show, I took my ribs there and I cooked them and me and her, we met. I never made the show, but she had my ribs. So then fast forward two years later, I'm cooking in the Hearst Corporation after I had one chop the first time and I'm doing a demo. I have my ribs, banana pudding and stuff like that. So Gail King, she had my ribs. So she got them, she went upstairs and then she came back down. She got a second tray. She was just like, I think I'm gonna give these to Oprah. Nothing happened after that. Three years later, I have my restaurant now. It's doing great. I just got my food truck. Somebody asked me to do craft services for Saturday Night Live. I see on the bill, Gail King. So I'm just like, I'm going to bring my ribs again. So I see her. I'm like, Gail, here's my ribs. I'm not sure if you remember me. I cooked them for you a couple of years ago. She was like, I'm on my Weight Watchers program. I can't have them. But her executive assistant was like, I'll try them. So she had them. She was like, Gail, you have to try these ribs. She tried the ribs. She said they were great. She asked me to cater for her uh, party. So we did that. And then I'm about to fly to New Orleans just for like a vacation. And I get a phone call. And they're like, can you bring us some of the ribs to the city? We want to have them on the cover of Old Magazine, Best Thing Gail Ever Ate. So six years, same product, persistence, 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 believing in myself, believing in the product right contacts, right connections, 
we start selling them all over the country. You know, that's just what it is. Don't let nobody ever tell you no. Don't ever stop. Don't ever settle. And that's just based off of not having a blueprint or a book to do it. Just believing in myself and believing in the product. Wow, that's really inspiring. You mentioned a food truck. Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked in it yet? I had the food truck for three years and I sold everything, but the food truck was great. I loved it. It's one thing that I wish that I never sold is the food truck. I could have gave up all the restaurants, but I should have kept the food truck just because I had so much fun in it. I love it. It's a different feeling and it's something that I wish to get back real soon. You once described ramen as love in a bowl. I'd give a penne for your thoughts about everything noodle. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're back to Hootie the Foodie. Welcome back to Hootie the Foodie. We're talking about ramen with Chef Mark Bynum. Chef, since we're going to spend this segment talking about noodles, I have a quick joke for you. What do you call a fake noodle? I don't know. What do you call a fake noodle? Impasta. (laughs) Okay, I got you. Let's talk about ramen. How would you define ramen? Ramen for me is, like I said before, it's love in a bowl. Like you can take everything that you know and love and put it in a bowl with some broth and some good noodle. And it's just dope. Why do you think it's become so popular over the past few decades as a comfort food dish? I think the reason why it's become so popular, one, because it's so good and it's healthy. And you can make it your own. Like ramen is just like pizza. It's just like a burger. You know, pizza came onto the scene super duper strong. So did burgers. Because you can literally take any type of cuisine and put it ultimately on a pizza. You could take any type of cuisine or indigenous food and put it on a burger. I think ramen is the same. As long as you keep the technique right, as far as the broth, I can take my Caribbean background and put oxtail in a bowl of noodle and it'll be great. I can take my love for Asian cuisine and do that. I can take, you know, my Nigerian culture and take it. I can take barbecue, brisket, and put it in a bowl of noodle and it'll be dope with some bone marrow. And the reason why it's come on so strong is because it's so new, it allows for people to do their own thing. You know, if you do your research, like when Ivan, you know what I'm saying, went to Japan and he started to cook, they looked at him weird for a second, but then it wasn't about what you look like, it was about what was in the bowl. You know, and I think that's what I love about it because it's not about what you look like, it's about what's in the bowl because it's like a culture clash. I'm saying it's it's, it's kind of dope. I love it. Traditional noodle or ramen is not to go. How should it best be enjoyed? Hot and right there. When I first opened up the place that I had MB, I didn't want to do it to go. If you go to a real noodle spot, I'm saying there is no to go. I'm saying your your noodle is cooked right in front of you. It's supposed to be eaten piping hot. You're supposed to slurp. Slurping is not looked down upon. Just enjoy it. And a lot of cultures, it's not about being pretty, it's about enjoying yourself. And when warriors go to battle and they're drinking from the lake, the people that are going to battle with you are the ones that are down in the lake, cleaning and getting ready. You know what I'm saying? That's what the bowl of noodle is. It's just you preparing yourself for the day. 
if you go to Japan, there's the long lines. There's only eight, nine seats there. And they know what it is. They take their time with it. Only now and here is everything supposed to be to go. Sometimes you just got to stop and enjoy a good bowl of noodles. How is packaged ramen that you buy at the supermarket different from fresh ramen? Sodium. So the sodium of it. Uh, the noodle is it's still a great noodle, but it's just more elegant. Like a tonkotsu broth is cooked over days and it's just boiled bones and that's why it's cloudy. It's different than anything that you can freeze dry and put into a package. You know, if the packaged noodle were McDonald's or Burger King, you know what I'm saying? Getting a bowl of noodle from a ramen chef that takes pride in it is like eating at a, a four-star restaurant. Like, that's what it is. You taste the flavor. You taste every part of it. The noodle is at the right texture. It's not overcooked. It's not al dente. It's just perfect. The pork belly is there. The black garlic. You know, the menma, like the, the egg. And, and as you eat it, the beauty of it is, like, every spoonful should taste different because there's something different there. Like the fat, the chicken fat that you save, that you skim off the top of the broth, that you save it so you can put it in the bowl. So there's just like a nice layer of umami fat that's on top. And then the amount of detail that's paid into each bowl is so profound. Like, I don't think people understand that everything that goes into one bowl of noodles, you know, the hours of cooking that broth. And then there's six different components on top. And then you can add more making sure that the kimchi is right. And it's just the perfect balance. You know, every bowl is just the perfect balance. See, we're talking about noodle. So, so passionate. <laughs> so, so passionate. You had me at umami fat. <laughs> yeah. But I think the reason why it's come on so strong, and for me is I can do fine dining techniques in a bowl and it's not pretentious. And I can do it with just a minimal amount of people. I can do 300 bowls of noodle because I've done it before. You know what I'm saying? Just myself. And it's not as extraneous as doing 70, 80 covers in a fine dining restaurant. But every component, my duck confit, my chicken confit, my pork belly, my eggs, like everything is just precise. And it's all about your steps. You know, when you think of noodle for me, it's super relaxing. I don't care how many I have to do because it's all meat. It's mise heavy, so you prepare it, and then you just stand there and you literally watch people enjoy your food instantaneous. That's cool. In the bowl, they eat it, they enjoy it, they leave. Like, that's dope. What's your favorite type of ramen to eat? My favorite type of ramen would be tonkotsu, because that shows you the chef that's in the kitchen's understanding of the tradition of what tonkotsu is. What's tonkatsu? Tonkatsu is, is a traditional ramen broth. For me, it's oxtails, pork belly, the chicken, beef bone, and it's boiled over three days. You can either have a clear broth, which is going to be like a simmer so it doesn't cloud out. And then you can have like a cloudy broth, which is like boiling of the bones where you want the marrow to cook out of it and you get all that flavor from it. So that one is that usually has pork belly on there, an egg, some scallion. I switch it up because in certain things where it says chicken fat, I'll use duck fat just because it just tastes better. Can ramen be made at home? Absolutely. Ramen can be made at home. Ramen ultimately is chicken broth. Like when you think about it, like your base would be a nice chicken broth 
And then you have things called like tare, which you add to the bowl to add more flavor and distinction to each bowl. So ultimately your ramen broth is just a stock and then it's changed by what you put in the bowl with it. Please tell us about the book Tokes in Black. Tokes in Black. Tokes in Black was a book that we launched last year. It's 101 chefs of color. I don't want to say black chefs, chefs of color. From pastry chefs to restaurant chefs to banquet chefs. I have a recipe in there. It's a noodle recipe. So it's great to plug right now. So you can pick up that book and know how to do ramen. You can have a nice base ramen broth. And like I said before, you make it your own. Whatever you like, you put in the bowl. You said you mentored kids. Yes. Tell me more about that. Um, mentoring to me is very important because I never really had a mentor per se. So I like it because I try and help anyone escape some pitfalls that might slip them up a little bit. If they can get there a little bit faster than me, if they can get there without as much heartache and pain, it's definitely something that I like to take a part of. You know, I have two sons and I have a daughter, so I'm a built-in mentor, but my mentorship, you know what I'm saying? It could be younger, older the same age as me. I just like to give people knowledge and information. We talked about it earlier that there's some advantages to being self-taught. Do you ever say like no to the people you're mentoring? Like do this, you're doing it wrong. Um, I used to. And then one of my mentees was just like, I need to learn how you learn. And I was like, you're absolutely right. So I can't tell you no necessarily. So let's work through it. So there really is no no unless it's something that is proven, proven, like is not going to work. But I also then say, never trust another man's research. It's about figuring it out. So no, there really isn't a no. It's just really like a God. I liken it is to Zeus and Clash of the Titans. You know what I'm saying? So you had the God and you had the demigod. So I'm not saying I'm a God, but I look after my kids like the demigod, like I let them fall. I let them find their way. I do the same thing with mentorship. You know what I'm saying? I let them fall. I let them find their way. I just try and guide them and steer them and open up their brains, you know, to self-thinking. Sounds like a great approach. Mm-hmm. Chef Barnum, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your inspirational story and some great tips on ramen. Where can we find you and your latest projects online? You can find me on... Um, the interweb at markfindhamconcepts.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Chef Mark Finham. To awesome audience, thanks for listening. For some awesome products, reviews, and other videos, follow me on Instagram at Hootie the Foodie. I'm Hootie, I'm hungry, and you just listened to Hootie the Foodie. You've been listening to Hootie the Foodie. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review in your podcast app and follow on Instagram at Hootie the Foodie. Till next time.